Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Marcelo Bielsa of the podcast, minding his own business but never safe from getting charged down by the younger members of the team. And I'm joined by the Tim Krul of the podcast, Josh Hobbs, liable to drop the ball, <laughs> literally. And finally, the Cody Jame of the podcast, debuting because of a complete lack of squad depth, is Adam. Adam, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you for having me on pleased to make my debut yeah it's exciting it's it's been a while since we had a, a debut like this so uh, it'd be good to good to hear your thoughts on on this and maybe keep josh a little more, bit more balanced because uh, josh is is liable to be angry when leads are not playing well so josh how how what, what are you out of the the anger levels my anger levels have have simmered down quite quite a lot i'm i, I tweeted this morning saying that i feel um i feel more positive about it even though i think no one here is going to dress it up and say that we played very well yesterday. I think I said in the morning yesterday that, like at the end of the day, I would I would take a winning goal off Grant Hanley's ass. Um, and ultimately, yeah, the the points were vital. We didn't get the statement performance that we hoped for. Um, in fact, maybe we made the wrong kind of statement. Um, but ultimately, there were there were some better things in the second half. Um, yeah, I'm all right. All right. There are other bad teams. I'm clinging to that. Uh, Adam, how about you? How are you feeling about the the general state of things? Perhaps a little less positive than Josh at the moment still. I feel like we've won two games this season and they may have both been against the worst two sides in the league and we weren't convincing in either game. So I feel like there are systemic issues and we do need to sort it. And I don't know how to sort that because is the answer a new player? Is it and you system, I don't know what it is. Well, we will get into these big, meaty questions in the rest of this podcast. But before we do, let's just do the, the go through the game summary so we all know what was what um, in the game this weekend. So on Sunday, we won 2-1 at Carrow Road against Norwich City. Formation-wise and tactics-wise, I actually thought this was quite an interesting game. Um, we knew that Leeds were going to play in a 3-5-2 to counter Norwich's 3-5-2, but there were a few strange things 
within the formation. The first thing is, I think up front was 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 pretty fascinating because we started the game with basically Rafinha and Jack Harrison as forwards, with Rodrigo playing as a more advanced midfielder, which I think is quite funny given that we've said Rodrigo's best position is as a second striker in a two. Um, we played a two and, and he didn't play as a second striker. Within that system, Harrison and Dan James would eventually switch midway through the first half. And in the second half, we saw Adam Forshaw play the more advanced midfielder role as well, which which I think was... was was not what many any of us expected. In the back line, there was a, there was an interesting sort of uh, switch insofar as Pascal Strauch, who usually plays as a centre centre back in in these sorts of systems, he played as a left centre back, and it seemed as though the the general idea was to try and get a lot of space on the left-hand side through whichever winger was playing as the fullback, basically, and then getting Strauch to to push into that space or. Stuart Dallas as well moving wide uh, I think as well into into that space when we were in possession of the ball which was which was somewhat interesting and I suppose the benefit of that was seen in that both goals came from Pascal Strauch in some way in the in the first one he played the ball into Dan James and in the second one he counterpressed the ball uh, and and won it for Calvin Phillips to pass it to Rodrigo so clearly something about getting Strauch get in, into advanced areas there was working in terms of the flow of the game in the first half Norwich pressed us quite high and stopped us from building up at all really and I think the best chances of the game came through counter-pressing moments or Norwich misplacing passes because of counter-pressing. We didn't really generate many chances at all in the game, uh, but when we did, it was usually through Rafinha. Although in the first half, there was that Dan James chance, which was cleared off the line. Uh, but obviously when the deadline was broken, no surprises that it was Rafinha who who has generated that chance and scored the goal. Leeds conceded immediately after scoring the opening goal from a set piece which was given away sloppily by Ilamelier, but they were able to pull the, the lead back with a Rodrigo shot from distance that somehow evaded Tim Krul in the Norwich net and from that point onwards Leeds just sort of sat in absorbed pressure and Norwich never really looked like scoring. So that is the general game summary. Let's move on to the interrogation. So this is the interrogation, the part of the show where I ask the guys five questions about the game and we try and get to grips with with what happened. So we'll kick off with question one. I'll ask this to Josh. How do you feel after a game like that where the result came through, but there were so many negative aspects to the game? Relieved, (laughs) because I think... I think uh, often if you do, if you play how we played, then you will be punished. Um, you are un- unlikely to win it. Um, yeah, I I mean there were lots of negative aspects of the game, but I, there were also some positives, which I think I didn't necessarily see on the first watch. Um, but some of them were things like using Strauch in the way that you mentioned. Um, maybe that's something we'll do a bit more often. I think that that looked good and I don't think that looked good just because Norwich were not good. I think it genuinely did work well. Um, it was really interesting. At times he was almost like a left back. Like in, in the um, Rafinha goal, he's basically driving up the line like like a left back would and then he plays a really nice pass into James. Um, but yeah, I, I think I am concerned, as I've already said, that... Um, that we just seem to have so many players out of form at the same time and we're not a team that I think that's equipped to cope with that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say about it that's not going to just rehash what I said at the, at the very start. So I, I'll, I'll pass that on. 
Yeah, well, Adam, you've already mentioned that Leeds' two wins this season have come against the two worst teams in the division and they haven't been particularly convincing. So what what do you take away from a game like this? Like, Is, is the concern here that we are in a situation where you're kind of worrying about what game is going to be a sort of easy game for us? Or is it just relief, as Josh said, that we've got the three points and at, in this sort of relegation battle, all you need to do is pick up a, a number of three points and you're probably going to be okay? The thing is that we played well last season at times against some of the harder teams in the division and it doesn't mean that we can't play like that again. It's just, I don't know how we get back to that. That's the issue. Some people were talking on Twitter and making a bit of a joke out of the game yesterday talking about how it felt like a championship game and it really did for me, not just in terms of how the quality wasn't the best, but also the fact that in the championship we used to rely on Pablo Hernandez so much when the game was tight or it was close and we really needed to get something out of it. And now we've got Rafinha, who's taken up that mantle and um, reliant on him. And that's the problem for me. Um, it feels like if he gets a long injury, it really, really would be a struggle for us. And I know lots of sides in the Premier League have a key player that they can sort of rely on for big moments, whether that's in a defensive moment or a, an attacking one. But it just feels like without him, we'd really be in the shit. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, Phil, Phil did say uh, yesterday in the first half before anything had happened uh, in terms of goals or anything like that, he said that if we're going to get anything out of this, we're going to get it out of Rafinha on that side. Um, and I know he started as a central sort of striker almost, but he was often drifting out to the right and coming up against a 19-year-old centre-back who hasn't played many games. And, and there was also Rashiska on that side, who's not normally a defensive-minded player and I thought we're going to get a lot of joy out of that and we did in the second half luckily but it just still feels we're too reliant on one player and and I think we need to uh, address that somehow and I don't know how. I think that those are all sentiments that will be echoed by everyone listening. Um, let's move on to question two then which is something that I've been thinking about a little bit more recently because it feels as though Leeds' performance are so opposition dependent this season. I think there's a lot of people asking the question, like, how do we get back to playing the way that we were playing last season? And there's been flashes of that in certain games. Um, but having thought through some of the games that we've played, there, there are certain games where we um, we don't play necessarily we play poorly against teams who we expect to play worse so thinking of teams like Norwich or Southampton and then games against certain teams like Wolves where we maybe expect them to do better than than they did uh, we end up being quite good um, and I just wondered I'll start with you on this one Adam whether or not you thought that that, that there is something in this with that that leads are more likely to to look good against certain teams than others and so whether or not we're going to play well or not is de- more dependent on the way that the opposition approach the game rather than how well or not Leeds play on the day. The problem is I think that we can do some things better and we need to get an extra sort of 10 or 15% out of certain players. Dallas is not playing as well as he did last season, although he was pretty good yesterday for the most part. Harrison's looked miles off the pace and I'm sure we'll talk about him later. So there's certain players like that that need to step up who are still playing, but there's also players that need to come back uh, that you hope will make a difference. We've talked a little bit about Ailing before and sort of his progressive carries. He was one of the best in Europe last season. That would be a, a big plus point if we had that. So those are things that could easily be fixed regardless of the opposition. But then you're completely correct in that we do play differently against certain teams. I think Southampton, they pressed us high and they pressed us fast and we didn't like it. We could never cope with it. And against Wolves, we had the opposite and they sat really deep and we had a lot of the ball in good areas. So yeah, there's something in that for sure. But I also think personnel coming back would massively help or just personnel improving because there's certain players that just aren't there yet. 
Josh, how about yourself? What do you make of, of this? The fact that, you know, there's there's been games where we've looked good and there's been games where we've looked bad. And usually the games where we've looked good have been against teams who n- maybe not necessarily great pressing teams and the teams we've looked bad against tend to have been okay at pressing. Yeah, I mean, can't argue with it, I, I don't think. And uh, I mean, I, pr- I probably would say similarly to, to Adam on it that like, I think we have to acknowledge that Ailing was not good at the start of the season. Um but then he did have to play centre back for a while. Um, but I, I sort of feel he's our best chance for us to improve in this because he can carry the ball. Um, he can carry the ball out um, and get us up the pitch. Um, and I also think um, some change in the midfield could help. Someone who can rotate down to receive the ball and and help us get out. Um, I mean, I basically think it's for sure is <laughs> that person. Um, but yeah, I, like yesterday, I thought particularly in the first half, Yorente was a bit of a disaster when it came to getting the ball out. He was a big target of their press. Um, and it just invited more and more pressure onto us, um, because he was just getting hit, um, because he wasn't releasing the ball early enough. So he can be really dangerous. Like in the first half against Arsenal, he can, he can if he can catch players out as they're coming out to press he can pass into the midfield but yesterday I think he just I don't know it was either he was taking too many touches before playing the pass or they were getting out to him a lot quicker so yeah I think we can improve it but I also think it will be an issue throughout the season until we basically have some better players <laughs> which we're not going to get this season so you don't think there were, there's going to be any January signings well I don't know like I, we, it might be a bit desperate where we go or well, you have to get someone but I also think um, there's that whole thing of who who will we sign that Bielsa will basically use quick enough to make a difference I mean we've seen with Dan James that if he likes the player enough then he will put them straight into the team because he's basically just he's like an automatic starter at the moment which is funny because I don't think he's necessarily done anything to be an automatic starter rather than we just don't have very many other options but um do is there a midfielder out there who's going to be at the fitness levels that are required to come straight in and do something other than if we gave Huddersfield a, a lot more money for Lewis O'Brien I don't know and I think even if you bring someone like O'Brien in like that is one of the most difficult positions to play in a Bielsa system I think the the central midfield position because there's a lot of stuff that you have to do um that is very rotation heavy um, and interchange heavy and then the other thing is, is that you're playing you're doing a lot of stuff that a lot of midfielders don't really do in sort of wide build up and stuff I think I mean, I think Lewis O'Brien would probably be pretty adept at that sort of thing but so much of it does just come down to picking up midway through the season what the rest of the team are sort of doing by rote now so um, that's why I suppose the, this this sort of urban myth about players not not being able to be brought in in January exists but I mean maybe it isn't an, an urban myth at all but um, it does feel a little bit desperate to bring someone in midway through the season and expect them to sort out your problems. I think I'd just like someone to do midfield things though but I mean let, let's not let me go off on that because we'll talk about midfield later but yeah well let's move on to question three then and let's just talk about the various iterations of what we talked about in terms of the the tweaks we saw up front so we talked already about Rafinha sort of playing as a, an outside forward um, with with him sitting on the 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 uh, I guess it was the left sided centre back for for Norwich and then having Harrison or James as the as the striker sitting between the other two centre backs. Um, what did you make of that, Josh? 
Yeah, I was like um, having a split striker system, wasn't it? Where you have it's like where you have two strikers, but you don't have them both playing as a striker at the same time. Um, it, it was like that kind of situation. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Rafinha. Uh, I think I was happier to see him there than I would have been to see him as a wing back. I think that would have been, um, yeah, taking him away from where he would really do damage. Um, and Harrison and James, I, I don't think it's working out necessarily with either of them playing that particular role at the moment. Um, maybe that could have been Roberts. We saw um, Harrison and James switch Adam basically midway through the first half. And I think uh, James came off pretty much in the early on in the second half. Um, wh- what did you make of that switch between Harrison and James? Do you think that was Bielsa not being happy with the way that James was playing the, the sort of wing-back position or because he wasn't happy with the way that Harrison was playing the, the striker position? It's probably somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Because neither were particularly impressive. I know James finally got an assist under his belt, which is fantastic for his confidence, but I don't think either were at their best yesterday. I mean, Josh remarked that Harrison looked like he was playing for the other team. So, and it was quite like that at times. I wasn't very happy with that side of the pitch, apart from Pascal's influence. I thought he was really good again. Uh, the pass he played was excellent into James for the goal and a couple of other really, really good passes out to Rafinha as well. I'd really enjoyed his performance, but that side in general was just a bit of a mess. In terms of them, Rodrigo is an attacking midfielder. We spent a lot of time on this channel, sort of talking about how we think Rodrigo is the best is best suited in a two striker system, playing as a as, as a striker who can sort of drop behind the the lone striker and help him build up. In this game, he basically played as as the attacking midfielder um, at, at the more advanced of of, of three. Um, what did you make of that, Adam? Uh, do you think that that uh, Bielsa has sort of given up on the idea of him playing as a second striker, or what, what, what was going on there? I was quite impressed with him. I think he was one of our better players. He was against Wolves as well, but it's still not perfect. And it is odd that you know a, a position that we know he can play, he's not being played in. And I wonder if Bielsa is just really trying to force this on Rodrigo and sort of say, "You will be this position. You will be this player." And so he's trying to mould him, but at his age, it's, it's difficult to see whether he is mouldable. I've been pretty negative about Rodrigo over his time here, to be honest. And I don't know if it's necessarily all his fault because there is still talent there, but he did play well yesterday. So I'm pretty happy with that. And he, I mean, the goal was well hit shot. It was a goalkeeper mistake in the end, though, wasn't it? What about you, Josh? What do you make of, of Rodrigo sort of playing in the way that he's playing at the moment? I think it was one of his better, uh, better games. Uh, for us certainly this season um, I think maybe he played some better games last season um, but um, yeah I, I think I, I guess it was because they, they maybe wanted a bit more intensity pressing from the front and thought we'd get that with uh, the combination of Rafinha and then Harrison or James um, and I think one thing that Rodrigo has got, although we haven't seen it as much as we would like to this season, he has got that ability to create from those sort of deeper positions, turning and passing. Um, he tried a few yesterday. They didn't so much uh, come off, but you see the intent there with him. And I think it also says something about where Click is right now, that um, in the early part of this season, I, I thought he was looking a bit back to his best Um but then I think in recent weeks he's dropped off as again, um, so I don't think he's pushing hard enough to make that position his, his own right now. Yeah, and uh, obviously Forshaw came on to replace Rodrigo in that position as well. But you're about to talk to us about the midfield 
um, when we do the bring a topic se- section, Josh. And I, I just wondered, like, how much of your I was going to say disgust at the midfield, <laughs> but how much how much of that comes down to the fact that we've got Rodrigo playing there, and so you're essentially playing. You could argue that in terms of like the pressing side of things, that you are playing sort of a little bit man light in the in the central midfield space. Yeah, I mean, I think it's how I feel in general is when you have that shape that we had yesterday, where you you've basically got um, you've basically got Phillips and um, Rodrigo like playing it's like vertical so you've got Phillips playing um like if you picture it in the center circle you've got Phillips playing at the sort of defensive end of the center circle and then you've got Rodrigo immediately in front of him but in the attacking end of the center circle and but how that plays out on the pitch is it ends up just being a massive gap and there's like there's no passing angles really I think whereas I think when Forshaw came on Although he might have been playing in that role, he drops, and so he's he's a bit more like he'll drop to the the halfway line if if Phillips is um, is receiving it around the centre circle, and there's a there's a lot of an easier pass uh, there, and I just don't think we have the angles when we have that sort of two man midfield like that where you've just got a defensive midfield and an attacking midfield. There's no link. That's what I think is really really missing. Well, we'll talk about that in a, in a little while, but let's move on and finish off the, the interrogation question. So question four, I've just got a question here about the, the Stuart Dallas-Pascal Strauch interchange, which we, I think we've talked a little bit about, Adam. But I, th- I think what was what was so interesting about this is that, that Strauch, I think there was a graphic on one of the streaming services that was showing this that showed him out of <laughs> out of possession, basically playing as a as a central midfielder uh, and then almost playing as a left back in, in possession. Um, so what did you make of uh, the Pascal Strauch um, role and, and also the, the fact that Stuart Dallas seemed to be moving out quite wide, almost filling in that wing back position from the centre midfield? I guess no doubt because the, the, the wing back in that situation was either Harrison or James who was pushing quite far forward. But what did you make of that whole approach? Yeah, I, like I said before, I, th- I was really impressed with uh, Pascal I thought he was one of our best players and it definitely worked we definitely got some joy out of it um Dallas definitely also had a better game which was needed I think because we saw what had happened this week with him and, and that came out in the press but I think the reaction from him on the pitch and also the fans off the pitch probably gave him a little bit of uh, a boost which hopefully continues into the other games but the, t- the tactical tweak was good I did enjoy that um because we know that Pascal can step out. We've seen him do it. You talked about him last week, John, and, and how you don't think he's that far away from Phillips in terms of where he's at as a midfielder. And so when he does step out from sort of left centre-back into sort of a almost defensive midfielder, left-back, left-wing-back hybrid, I don't mind it. It's a good area for him to be in. And, and you know, two of our goals came almost directly from him doing that. So, uh, yeah, really, really good from both of them. It's just a shame about some of the players in front of them not being at their best yet. And, well, we really need them to at some point. It's still, uh, it feels like if we play like that against a higher quality opposition, it's it's going to be punished in some way. And In terms of the fact that we we sort of created the conditions for, for Pascal to get forward in that space, Josh, you've mentioned already that, that Norwich were putting quite a bit of pressure on Llorente on the other side. To what extent do you think that that was planned, the, the fact that they were going to use Strauch as the as a, as an out ball in that sense rather than Urense. and you, how much do you reckon it was just on the hoof when they were like well it's not working on the right let's try it down the left I think it just kind of happened because we we certainly seemed to be using Urente to start with and then it we realized like oh this is not working um and maybe it was the fact that Bielsa had lined them up in that way so that we had both options 
um and then we just went there and it worked um but yeah i died without without being you know privy to the plans I, I can't know for sure but it certainly seemed to me that we were favoring the right early on and we just we just abandoned it because pookie seemed to just get on top of uh of urente a lot quicker than they were ever able to get on top of of uh, pascal one final question in the interrogation section then just about this, uh, our susceptibility to the high press this season, something that I've mentioned. What do you guys make of it, Josh? What do you make of the fact that, that against a high press, it seems as though lesser teams can actually render us fairly null in terms of attacking? Um, and, and okay, yeah, maybe they won't be quite so dangerous at, um, in, in their own attacks, but they certainly make us a fairly blunt instrument going forward. I think, in general, it will only be the good teams that are able to put a genuinely good press together that we can't figure out. Like Southampton, obviously, are not a very good team, but we also had a terrible team out that day. And um, although Southampton are not a good team, they are a pressing team. That's what they do all the time, even though they're not great. Whereas I think Norwich, is like they pressed us well for a period of time that caused us a lot of problems, but they couldn't really maintain that enough. And eventually we did find a way to to make a difference in the game um like i think if say watford tried to press us they wouldn't be able to do it um yes last season like burnley pressed us and caused us a lot of problems at at ellen road even though we won the game i think it would there'll be moments where any team will be able to make us feel uncomfortable but i don't think that bad teams will actually be able to press us well enough overall that's (laughs) that's at least my my hope uh, and and it, like we've said already, we're sort of clinging to this idea that if you have Bamford as an outlet to hit and you have Ailing as someone to carry it, you do give yourself uh, better options than what we have at the moment, which is trying to play passes into feet to Rodrigo, who seems to be losing the ball on the turn a lot more than he used to, or you just try to ping it for James to chase, which I think is a bit frustrating. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the on the high press, Adam? Yeah, there were certainly times last season where Burnley's a good example when they came to Ellen Road where they pressed us high and made it difficult for us. But we've also proved at times that we can play through a press and we have been able to do that. The only other thing I would say is the way we have recruited with James is Bielsa wanting to play a different way. Is he wanting to play more counter-attacking and transitional? I can't tell if that's the case. Yeah, and this is a question that we've been asking a lot through the the whole of the this season, really. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on this are, Josh, but we've th- th- there's been enough times, I think, in press conferences where Bielsa has said we're not trying to play any more transitionally than normal. It's just not working out that way. And yet, to us, I think it looks very much like the team has adopted a different approach tactically. Um, and so I suppose that probably the truth lies somewhere in between. That There's probably a sense in which they are trying to do stuff they were doing last season uh, and it's it's not working out. But um, the result of that is that it looks as though they're playing in a in a different style. Have you no thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've gone on record about this before. Um, I think that Bielsa's style is more be transitional than be controlling. I think we we became a controlling football team in his sort of I guess midway through his first season at at the club, and that but that was basically we became a controlling team because other teams stopped trying to attack us anymore and let us have the ball uh, in the championship because they saw what happened 
when they got hit in transition. So if you look back to the first games, we were just an incredible team when we won the ball and could quickly attack. Um, but the thing that I always come back to is the transitions were led a lot of the time by a ball carrier, and that was Saez, at least in those early in those early games. Uh, and I I don't really see that anymore. Like we don't have a a ball carrying midfielder. We, I feel like we've tried to sign one for the last two summers and not not done that. And now we're we're a transitional team that's a bit more um, led by trying to ping it forwards. But I think I think if we could be a transitional team led by a ball carrier, it would be different. I do think that's why Bielsa likes to persist with Dallas because I think to a certain extent, particularly in games where we can like carry the ball into space, Dallas is quite a good mover of the ball. Um, and I can only think that's why he sort of has continued to persist with him uh, this season because we don't like we like who are the really good dynamic ball carriers that we have. It's like it's it's Dallas and and um, Roberts, I suppose. Like this, I guess outside of those the, the players that we usually have in the fullback positions. I mean, that's why I like, even though other we we know other people dislike Roberts for lots of reasons, but that's why I like Roberts in the team for for that reason because he does that. Part of this might also be just the general standard of the league has gone up a notch this year. You see the the top sort of sides, most of them took a step forward or at least stayed the same. The middling sides, a lot of them have, have improved this summer and even towards the bottom end of the league, I don't know how much of the championship you both watch, but basically the three best teams did come up. So I think the overall quality of the league has has gone up a notch and that's meant maybe we're getting less of the ball, maybe we are having to be a bit more transitional because teams are able to dominate better and that's possibly part of the reason as well which I don't think everyone's always looking at I think a lot of people are expecting oh we finished ninth last season we're going to kick on but actually a lot of the league itself has actually got a little bit better Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, enough of my questions. Time for you two to ask your questions. Are you both sort of asking questions, I think, which are midfield focused, which says says a lot, I think. But this is a bring a topic section. So uh, we'll start with you, Adam. What did you want to talk about based on your watching of the game? Yeah, I wanted to talk about Matthias Click and Adam Forshaw. I wasn't altogether surprised that Click didn't start, but at the same time, he's basically the only out-and-out central midfielder we have, if we're calling Phillips a defensive midfielder. So I thought he would start. Because Forshaw hasn't been fit uh, or whatever for so long now. He's played five games, I think, now in two years, which is a really, really small sample size. And I was really impressed with him when he did come on. But 
of all the players I thought Bielsa might turn to off the bench, I thought it would be click and it actually ended up being for sure. And I just wondered if that was going to be something we're going to see more of going forwards because he did impress. And I'm wondering if he has got a bit of fitness and he can stay fit as well. Maybe he's the option for Bielsa. Maybe he is a fix to some of our problems because as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, our midfield is the issue. And I don't know if we're going to sign anyone in January considering how many times we've got it wrong in January under Bielsa. So I feel like we might end up just having to stick with what we've got. And uh, if that answer is Adam Forshaw and it's Adam Forshaw playing like he did yesterday, maybe we'll be all right. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, we need we need to have a bit more control in midfield, bring on Forshaw for, for Dallas and see what we can do there. But uh, the, the the eventual change was Forshaw for Rodrigo, who I guess is you wouldn't think of as being that, that position where you needed to have a lot of control. So, Josh, what did you make of the fact that Forshaw was played in that more attacking position? Yeah, I mean, I think it was that idea, though, of, like I said, he was he was not going to interpret that role in the same way. Um he was going to drop down, uh, and and I think that's what he did. I think he also was quite he was quite dangerous in terms of like pressing Matthias Norman, who was, I think was probably Norwich's best player uh, for me yesterday. Sort of controlling, breaking up play. I think that makes a big difference as well. And 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 just having someone who was going to be a little bit more of a uh, a destroyer on him, I think, made a big difference. And there was a few times actually where we we did spring counterattacks through Forshaw pressing uh, Norman which which worked quite well it was quite nice to see um, it was quite nice to see Forshaw looking dangerous in physical uh, actions as well um, Adam what, what's your take on, on this? Yeah like I say I, th- I feel like clicks more suited to in an attacking sense but if you just needed to see out the game and have a bit of control there and to press Norman who certainly was their best player then yeah Forshaw came on and did the job that he was asked to do and some, some really nice passes just to get us out of a bit of trouble take a bit of the pressure off. And I, I do wonder if in Bielsa's mind, he might have risen above Click in the pecking order because Click hasn't been good in recent weeks, certainly, and, and hasn't really been good for about a year now, if we're being honest. Yeah, we've got a question actually from the listeners about COVID and the impact of COVID, which which I no, I no doubt will come into the Click question. But before we get to the listener questions, let's just talk, Josh, about what you wanted to talk about. So what was the topic you wanted to bring? Yeah, just I'm just trying to figure out what Bielsa is actually trying to do with the midfield at the moment. Like I, I'm genuinely quite confused by it right now because it feels like we've sort of abandoned any idea of trying to play through the middle of the pitch, other than those passes that we occasionally play. Like obviously the one we got for the goal, Strauch pinged it through. I just uh, purposefully said that one so that I wouldn't say Irente one, but um. Yeah, Strauch playing that into that space. I mean, James had basically dropped from the striker into like the 10 space so that he could then turn and then play it. But that seems to be all that we do in going through the middle of the pitch. Um, so I just don't know what, what we're trying to do. On Dan Holdsworth, a, a listener of the pod, he he uh, described it as, um, he said it's like Bielsa's trying for something like high conceptual art or something. <laughs> it's just like I'm just trying something. I'm just just trying something new, man. Some weird vibes in midfield. Just let's not bother with one. I, I don't understand it. So that, that's why I'm I'm wondering. Like, is Forshaw going to become the answer? Uh, I can't. I hope so. <laughs> Even though it's hugely risky. I guess the the. Com- complexifying fact here is that we play a man marking system in midfield and I think what we're starting to see is that teams are just getting so good at pulling players around that that they're used to just now thinking in terms of get the ball to your most your your best centre back on the ball and then try and pull 
players away from in front of that centre back so they have space to run into and I think a, a lot of the time we're seeing we're seeing that happen a lot more this season and I feel as though when it comes to the pressing as well like Bielsa last season was happy to have Dallas playing as a sort of zonal blocker as we talked about a lot last season and we just haven't really seen it this season it seems as though the, like the ideal for him is well we play man to man and last season okay we'll get we'll go with that blocker but this season we're going to try and get our press back to where I want it to be and I think as a result of that it just often looks as though the midfield is quite empty and again when you lose control of the ball as well uh, as much as we do I think we we just we I think we've always had a fairly open midfield and I think the the part of the problem is is that last season we were holding the ball and so it didn't matter you don't notice it as much this season we're turning it over and so you're losing we're, we're just sort of looking open every time and that's another reason why I want Forshaw in because I think he's one of the few midfielders that we've got that can can look yeah. after the ball. Sometimes pick a safe pass, Do you know, like sometimes mm. slow it down instead of going. Let's attack at a hundred miles an hour, which I think has been our default setting this season. Adam, what's your thoughts on the midfield? Not just the midfield, but the press in general. Is now I wanted to talk about a little bit. In the first ten minutes yesterday, we were pressing them really quite high, and Cruel had a couple of really iffy moments with the ball at his feet I was impressed and I wanted that to sustain but we haven't been able to do it as well this season and I don't know again if that's because of personnel and, and players being out and all this rotation and and also the players getting used to the team and the system like James and, and Furpo but it does feel like if we solved our midfield problems it might solve some of the other issues around pressing and ball retention and, and I agree with exactly with what Josh has said there even just I'm sometimes playing the simple pass and keeping it because we don't always do that enough and, and often we've we've been giving the ball away in bad areas and, and playing out, which we'll always do, but it just hasn't always been as, as good as it was last season. And we've seen that in, in everything. We've seen that in the Cups. I mean, against Arsenal, uh, I know that was in the week, but it was the same problems and, and we were giving the ball away in our own third and that shouldn't be happening. We need to be giving it away if it is anywhere high up the pitch, you know, when we were already on an attack or something like that. But... Yeah, I think we think uh, for sure could be the answer to some problems if he can stay fit, and that is the big question. Well, let's move over to the listener questions and have a listen at some of the topics that they want to hear us cover. Um, so I've mentioned this one already, but the first question is about COVID from from Ben Davis. He says, "Is it a real thing that players struggle badly when coming back from COVID?" Dallas and Harrison were way off when they from where they were last year, and loads of examples of other clubs, especially Newcastle. Um, uh, just a couple of things to say on this. I think the first one is that it's it's important to not be sort of anecdotal on this. And, and I think it's tempting for us to be like, oh, who's not playing well? Have they had COVID? Ergo, the issue is COVID. Um, the other thing to say is that there has been research done on this that shows, I think, uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but I think it was a 6% drop off on uh, attacking metrics or passing metrics or something like that um a, a, an academic paper was done that showed that players who have had covid just drop off their levels um by by about six percent in certain senses so there's definitely an, an impact that covid is having on 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 players um and uh, I, I i think that's important it needs to be thought about um uh, particularly because you know this there, there, there tends to be this attitude now that well as long as people aren't dying from it it's it's not a problem this is affecting people's lives but um, I'll hand this over to to you first Adam what's your what's your take on this do you think that I mean we talked about Click a lot on this podcast and um, we, we've we've sort of seen Click I think he's had COVID a couple of times now um, and uh, clearly there's the, there is an impact on your on your body when you're a finely tuned athlete 
um, any any little thing like this, any big thing like this, can have an impact. So, what's your what's your general take on this? With Click, there might be a case of it being there's a natural drop off after having played under Bielsa for three years. He's in his thirties now, but it also might be the COVID thing. I think the case that we are seeing right now, which is probably more important to talk about, is actually Jack Harrison. Um, he genuinely does look like he's back to being his 2018 self when he first joined. And I don't, it might be COVID, it might just be form. I guess time will tell. And, and obviously there's more research that's going to be done into this over the coming months and years, to be honest with you. I was reading about uh, Ben Godfrey actually at Everton this week and how his form's really dipped since he's had COVID. So it's clearly something affecting a lot of high profile athletes that are, you know, they should be at peak performance, but it is something that, that is important to talk about and, and to think about. I think we might see it more across the Premier League and, and we'll know more probably in about a year's time whether it is something that's really serious. Like you said, there is obviously some data that's showing a drop-off, but yeah, time will tell, I think. I suppose the other thing with with Harrison is that he's now essentially battling for his place with uh, one of Leeds' most expensive signings as well. So what's your whole take on this, Josh? Nothing to add, really. I don't, I don't want to act like I have any kind of knowledge about <laughs> about this it, it, I think it all makes sense what you guys have said and things that people have written and has been read but yeah I don't, I don't want to speak an authority on something like this when I, I've got no knowledge about it really. What I'll do is I'll share that paper um, on our Twitter feed so you can go and have a read of it because you know, like Josh says we, we aren't authorities on this so the best place to go to is the is the academic paper if you're interested uh, but definitely definitely worth considering um, when it comes to assessing how players are doing. Um, right, question two from Rico Helly, who says, does this season prove that the most important system player at Leeds is St. Patrick of Bamford? Um, Josh, I know that you have a soft spot in your heart for, for Patrick Bamford, so we'll start with you, with you on this one. Yes, I think so. I think the thing with, with, with Pat is this was clear to see even in the championship. So I have to admit that <clears throat> I... Um, I definitely lost patience with Pat in the championship when some Ali Maxwell from uh, not the top twenty uh, he outed me as uh, he fa- he had a, found a tweet of mine saying that I was I wasn't on Bamford <laughs> Island anymore <laughs> after Preston away in in two thousand and nineteen two thousand twenty when he had that shot that went backwards I think um, <laughs> but the thing is it took me up until that point where that was like I don't know that was like December or something like that. I can't remember, but where he, Enketia was in and was around and scoring and Pat was obviously not scoring like he should do, but it took me up until that point to be like, I've, I've lost patience with him because I gave him that time because it was like, he's clearly better than Enketia in terms of how Leeds play when he is in the team. And we've seen that even more so uh, now with him not in the team it just doesn't look right at all, does it? Up front, and um, I think it's a damn, it's a damning indictment on Rodrigo, um, and I guess the signing of Rodrigo more than him as a, as a player. In that Bamford's been out, and he, he's he's been able to play in the position that apparently he was signed to play in, and he but he basically can't do it. But that we've we said that at the time. Um, that it seemed like a strange signing because he can't do the things that that Bamford does, and we've seen it, and and no one else can in in the uh, squad. I think Roberts is probably the one who I feel could. 
but we've never really allowed him to do that because in playing him and Rodrigo together, you sort of have this situation where they swap positions, which is kind of not, that doesn't feel right. Like it should just be Roberts, I think, just up there and playing the role how Pat would try to play it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with me about that, but I think he he is the only one that could do a, a sort of semi-decent attempt at it. And Gelhart, we don't know yet. Adam, one of the interesting questions I, I I think about this is that Bamford is really the the only profile that we have in across our almost like youth teams. I mean, you could argue I think that Max Dean is the is the future Bamford, but Josh has mentioned Joe Gelhart there, who's a very different player to to Pat Bamford. And I just wondered why what what you make of that the fact that there isn't we don't we we if if Bamford is so important a profile to our system, why is it that there's so few players of that profile that we have available to us? Yeah, I'm unsure, really. Maybe we're still scarred by uh, Jean-Kevin Augustin, really, and how <laughs> that didn't work out. I think with uh, Gelhart, there's potential that he could be like that or, or similar-ish to that because of his age, and he's he's very moldable at that age. Um, but you are right. I completely agree with you about, I think, Roberts is probably the next best fit in that position. Uh, we don't have... However, I will disagree with you, Josh. I do think that... Um, Phillips is probably our, our most important system player, I would still say. Even though he hasn't really looked quite at it in the last few games, I think when we have him as the the linchpin, and, and that's a word that often gets used, he's so important at both aspects of the pitch. Um, in defensive areas, he's the first line of defence, and in attacking areas, he can set off the attacks. I'd give Bamford second place in, in that sort of uh, list. Well, let's move on to question three because that sort of um, it does sort of take us down the same sort of route as this. So this is from Adam Michael Finney. is quite an interesting hypothetical. He asks, if Leeds could magically add a Rafinha-level player at just one position, what would help the most? I used to wholeheartedly think it was an elite pressing and progressive dribbles midfielder, e.g. Rodrigo de Paul, but now I'm unsure. Maybe a hybrid wing-back mid uh, like prime Fabio Contrao. So what do you make of that, Adam? If you can you can add a Rafinha-level player at any one position, where are you adding them in this Leeds team? 100%. It's still in central midfield for me. It's it's where the most issues have been for a long time now, for basically two years under Bielsa. And it's something I've been crying out for, and I talk about it a lot on Twitter. I just don't understand it. I think it'd be nice if Forshaw could stay fit, as I've mentioned. It'd be nice if we could see some progress from Lewis Bates. I don't know why he's not been involved on the bench a couple of times, especially in the cup games. Um, but we don't really have anyone else there. It's it's just a bit, you know, we're putting a Rodrigo in centre mid who's a striker. And and last week, I, I put this on Twitter, but against Wolves, we ended the game with Strauch, Rodrigo, Gelhart and Roberts as the four sort of central players in central midfield and up front. And I was just like, that's a centre-back and three strikers, really. We need a centre-mid. It's, it's the most important thing. Someone that could do a bit of everything, you know. If we had someone who could... Uh, have these aspects at both ends of the pitch you know a goal in them pressing passing being progressive we just need some control there basically a younger better for sure that would be good for sure's definitely not got a goal in him though let, let's be fair no, but <laughs> that's what i mean by better maybe someone that can do a bit better of that yeah josh i have a feeling that you're not going to disagree with this oh yeah i mean it's the obvious answer like i think the fullback thing is something that we need um in the future, I think that we've mentioned it for um, for the next daughter's list that I think of a new right back is something that we will need to think about 
um, is we haven't really mentioned, but I think Drame did really well yesterday in a, a horrible game to come into. Um, but whether he would be ready to just take on the role from Ailing or whether Ailing's got one more season in him, I'm not sure yet. But um, that would be a sort of a secondary priority for me because it, a number one, I I want one midfielder, but I mean number two, I want. Two midfielders, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> be quite honest with you. Uh, I agree with what you say about uh, Drame. It depends how he kicks on and how he develops, really. It's possible, in my opinion, that the right back we need might have been on the pitch actually playing for Norwich. Uh, yeah, uh, great player. Really like Aaron's. Let's move on to the Statric Bamford section where we look at some of the stats from the game. Now, I'm starting to make this a regular chorus on this podcast, but FB Ref data hasn't updated by the time we're recording this podcast, so we haven't been able to trawl through the numbers that are available to us. But Josh, you did manage to find something. So what, what did you find that we could talk about? I've robbed this. Uh, this is a this is Jamie Kemp, uh, one-time contributor to, uh, to All Stats, aren't we, back in the very early days. Uh, he tweeted... Um, so something from Stats Perform, who he works for, uh, of Rafinha. So it's a graphic. It says Starman clearly, but notable to see Rafinha had the most touches, 65, uh, on either side. Uh, he says, I can't see another instance in the Premier League game this season of a winger slash wide forward playing in such an advanced position, having the most touches in the game. It just shows, you know, the influence. And I think he also tweeted... In the first half, I think he he lost the ball like with like forty five percent of his touches or something like ridiculous like that. Where it's like he he's taking so many risks, but he's he's just at the center of everything um, that Leeds are trying to do in a positive sense. And um, obviously, he came up with the moment. And I think a lot of the time he will come up with the moment. But it's as Adam has said, it's it's a nasty thought to think of uh, the team without him because you end up with games like Southampton. We haven't really talked about Rafinha's role, actually, because it was quite different from what we've seen because it, it almost felt as though he was just able to be a little bit freer uh, because Jamie Shackleton was was patrolling behind him, keeping an eye on Milot Rashica, uh, and he was he was on the outside left centre-back, who whose name I'm not going to say because it's um, I, I've not got it written down and I'm going to nail I believe it's Omar Badile. Okay. I believe <laughs> I will, I'll go with that. I, do, I just don't want to crucify his name. So, Adam, what do you make of the of the of the role that Rafinha played yesterday? Yeah, like I said, I think I mentioned it at the start. I liked when he was sort of drifting out to the right space to get the ball, but also finding himself quite central. He was really free yesterday. Uh, maybe it's something we'll look at future in in the future further forward. Um, he's just so dynamic, and it doesn't really matter where you play him. You know, he's going to make a difference. So you can play him on the right. You can play him up front you can play him somewhere in between which is sort of where he was drifting and he you know he's going to make a difference the only time I don't really like Rafinha is when he's out on the left because I don't think he's as impactful going down to the byline and I know we've we talked about on the podcast before and how we like to cut the ball back and did that a lot last season and if you play him on the left you can do that but he is just so much more effective on the right and I don't know why you take him out of that that zone um, unless it was like yesterday where he's sort of a hybrid position between the two and he was really really good again um, I was going to ask you both how much you think we will get for him in the summer because I kind of resign myself to the fact that he's leaving but uh, it's been a bit of a topic of debate in my friendship group and I've heard everything from sort of 40 millions up to 100 so I was wondering what you both thought 
very much dependent. I think partly on our finishing position. I think that that gives us uh, that gives us negotiating position. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know what happens with the market in general. Like, I, I, I mean, I would want like I would want sixty plus, but I think it, I think people are deluding themselves a little bit when they talk about a hundred. Um, as much as I, yeah, because I, I think Jack Grealish was was able to command that fee because he'd done what he'd done for multiple seasons in the Premier League. I know this is Rafinha's second, but I would say he's probably he's still probably not playing at the level that Grealish was even though he is sensational for us and i'm sure some people are going to be very upset that i just said that <laughs> no but jack's also jack's also english and that's the homegrown thing and and that will do also bump his price yeah. a little bit as well so and yeah, he had a release clause so they knew that that was mm. what had to get paid basically yeah well, let's move on quickly just to, to briefly touch on the, the game next weekend. So next weekend we're playing against Leicester City. Um, Leicester City, I think, are going to be an interesting team to come up against because um, they look quite variable this season. They look kind of good, kind of bad. Sometimes it depends. Um, they do play, it seems, in the in the, the dreaded 3-4-3 and have caused us problems in that formation before um so i think that there's there's going to be plenty of stuff to talk about we don't have much time so i'm just going to give you guys just uh, sort of 30 seconds each to just say something about what you're thinking about in, in terms of this game so josh what's your take on the the leicester game just wondered if this could be one to bring foreshore in so yeah you maybe play a two with phillips and foreshore in midfield and then you play rodrigo as a false nine uh, and then you've got um, James and Rafinha being able to go ahead of him. I wonder if that could work, although I haven't sat there and figured out how that would work with the man marking or not. I think it would. Sounds good to me. Adam, what about you? For me, it's a question of which Leicester, A, turn up and B, how they line up, because although they have played a lot of 3-4-3 three, three, and they did at the weekend against Arsenal in the second half and they were really, really good against Arsenal in the second half, they also often start with two up front and... So I'm unsure which one Brendan's going to pick, but let's see. I think if it's Barnes, Vardy and uh, Luckman, how they ended against Arsenal, then I think we might be in for a tough day. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Adam. It's been great having you on. Hope you've enjoyed your time with us. Um, hopefully we'll see you again in the future, but we are running a little bit short in the interest of time. So I will end this podcast. We will be talking about this game a little bit more um, extensively in our preview I say a little bit more we'll have an hour where we talk about this and I'm talking to Charlie Carmichael of Give Me Sport um, about Leicester tonight so we'll be able to include that interview in there as well so if that interests you then head over to our Patreon which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we but we have reached the end of our podcast so all there is for me to do is to say thank you to Josh cheers mate thanks again to Adam thank you very much thank you for my debut wonderful and thank you to everyone who's listened
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 